69th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law. Say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome once again um, on to episode 69. We're super excited to have Eric with us today. Um, and I mean, as always, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. There's been a lot that's happened in the past couple of weeks. We were just kind of reviewing uh, the list. Um, I was actually reading through Daniel Meisler's newsletter that came out recently. Ken, I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, he was talking about the, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was talking more about the third party library issue. That was one of the points that he brought up in there. I think there was an article out of ours technical. I'll see if I can find it. Um, but there, there, there's a lot to talk about. Um, obviously we've got Eric on to talk to him about his, security adventures uh we've talked to some of his team before but we're happy to have him um otherwise we're getting prepped yeah sorry eric go ahead say hi no i was just saying i'm happy to be here so uh thanks for inviting me on yeah great um outside of that we're ken and i are getting prepped for both uh global opsec dc and global opsec amsterdam Uh, we're offering our secure code review course there so if anybody's interested hit us up. Those seats are filling up fast. And, but I don't think there's really anything else to talk through. Ken, do you have anything else on your, on your list right now? Nope. <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> uh, nothing else at all. I had to think about that actually, but no, there's nothing else. So. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, our, thank our, you for your time, by the way, Eric, I really do. Like we all really appreciate it when people come in and, and, and do this with us and provide people with some insight. So we definitely appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Just had to set my alarm minutes earlier today. So it was a pretty big effort on my end to be here, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, Pacific time. Sorry, Seth, I didn't mean to interrupt you though, by the way. Nope, you're fine. You Go right ahead. Um, I, I don't even know what I was talking about anymore, so it's fine. Uh, yeah, for the AppSec Minute today, though, the the hot take, the uh, announcement just this morning that came out on Imperva's blog uh, that they've their uh, cloud WAF product, so Encapsula.com, has been compromised, and they're in the in stages of an active incident. Um, I posted the link to our to Eric and to Ken to talk about it, but uh, maybe we'll post it out there online and actually see put in the chat it's going to talk the details it doesn't talk about any of the details like yeah um, it's on the cloud WAF, so presumably the cloud web app was or the database for the cloud solution was pwned i don't know like i don't know if it's a multi-tenant or single tenant yeah it seems like it's multiple customers Right, because it says yeah. elements of their customer database were exposed, um, but it does say well. And like this is interesting though, because they they learned about it on August twentieth of this year, but mm-hmm. it was a subset of customers who had accounts through September fifteenth of twenty seventeen, so like two years ago. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it was some sort of data like backup data or something along those lines that got exposed. Yeah. We don't really know a whole ton about it. Yeah. Outside of the fact that they've been breached. Yeah. I don't know. 
it was actually the WAF product itself. Like maybe it was the uh, Imperva website, maybe. Because does it actually say, like Imperva website for people that are like uh, bought the WAF? Because I don't see why the WAF itself would have customer data specifically, like email addresses and oh, yeah. consult passwords. It seems like a, a website to me that might have yeah. been yeah. signing up or purchasing. Yeah, That's and, what I'm thinking I mean, too. Yeah, and they reference my.encapsula.com. Yeah. Um, like the, the management interface for the cloud WAF. So yeah. I imagine it was something like that. It doesn't, I don't know if it's as, as interesting as the Capital One breach for sure, but yeah. well, not just seeing SSRF. <laughs> Dang it. Okay, so there's nothing to talk about. There's no SSRF. There's no like <laughs> third party hacked libraries that somebody like let. So we'll move on, right? You know. <laughs> Ken, you got something better? Nope, I'm just reading this. We profoundly regret that this incident occurred. And it's just, I don't know. It's like, this shit happens all the time and it's not, it just happens. And like, yeah, I don't really know what else to say. It's like, it doesn't surprise me. And okay, some email addresses and hat. I guess like, because it's a security company, definitely there's probably more, you know, you should be doing the right thing and not... Having this happen and at the same time, there's that part of me. It's like we see this all the time. So, and this is the worst thing that happened: email addresses and hash passwords. I don't know. <laughs> Does that? Maybe I'm just being old yeah. and curmudgeonly, but I just I'm like, yeah, not that big of a deal. I mean, at least they're sorry about it, which is the most important part. <laughs> yeah, yes. um, I'm glad that they put that in there. <laughs> well, they said they're going to share too, so I really hope they do share the details and you know, yeah, and hope it's not something like kind of lame and easy that they that was exploited. You hope it wasn't. I, I would yeah. say that ninety percent of them are something lame and easy, isn't it? Right? The always, the almost always, open S three buckets or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. I know. I used to get into those. You said we used to, so you have those conversations where it's like. Because when you have the threat model and architecture discussions, people will be like, well, um, what about nation state, this and that? And I'm like, have you taken a look at your code? You got Let's not worry about nation states right now. Let's worry about uh, kids with uh, access to the internet who can download scripts. Let's just worry about that right now. We can talk about uh, nation state a lot, a lot later. But um, yeah. again, maybe he's just being curmudgeonly. I don't know. I mean, if we if we talk about the the software pipeline, right, or what, however they they address it, I, I I'll link the article from Ars Technica that Daniel Meisler was talking about, um, and it's it's all about this how the last year the supply the software supply chain attacks have just increased, and we're going to see nothing but more of those as we move forward. And I mean, that was kind of Daniel's take as well, is that you know the the software that we trust may be fine, but it's the software that that software trusts that runs. we run into an issue, right? The, the more complex that the our software gets, the more we're trusting of somebody else to actually run something. And I know somebody on Twitter was talking about this recently too, even as security people, right? We, we tell everyone on the application teams, hey, guess what? You can't just download and run software. And then every single tool that we have, it's like a Git clone, and then we just run it like with with elevated privileges, you know, it, like we yeah. have a hard time keeping our own advice, but 
Well, with service-oriented architecture and uh, microservices, it's uh, especially microservices like the whole um, you being able to not so not using a paved path, just choosing whatever felt right in the moment. You know, that's that when it comes to asset management and third-party libraries is a is a nightmare. If you don't have a paved path, yeah. for those, you know, if you're not like, well, if you're going to build a microservice, has to be in one of these three languages or something like that, using one of these three frameworks, yeah, then it becomes a real serious hassle. Yeah, hopefully I don't start a flame war here, but like, uh, it's oh, right, like the lack of standard library. I think this is something that's been talked about, so I'm not. Hopefully, I'm not saying anything profound here, but. Like for example, I've seen uh, <laughs> libraries that are called like is number or is email, and it's like four lines and has three contributors. And I'm like, Geez, this is this is the reason why I'm always so afraid whenever we use like Node in general, just because it, it's something seemingly simple has you know 200 or 250 dependencies, and it's that right. It's it's like a untenable problem. So I can see why that. Uh, the the open source supply chain as a vector to get in because at the end of the day you are running untrusted code that's like remote code execution at the end of the day right so you know, if you can get your your source code in there and, and hopefully it lands in some big uh, organization then you, you kind of have your way in you don't have to resort to like nation state tactics really at the end of the day so yep yep yeah, that's, I mean, it's an interesting problem. I, I like I always go back to like the Node example. I always go back to the what LeftPad or whatever it is that did get compromised, or no, it got shut down and basically broke yeah. all of these dependencies. But you looked at it and it was it was seriously like eight lines of code, and that was it, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, all it did was a simple LeftPad operation. Uh, you know, I, I mean, granted, as a developer, you don't want to code everything, but I think you're right. It's the whole standard library issue that there isn't one that people can use and depend on. So, yeah, I think another thing that would be cool and uh, sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but like it'd be awesome if GitHub provided a way open source repos. You can actually either via the API or you can see if the maintainers are using MFA. Um, because I think that would also change if I would actually use a given library, if I know that like the maintainers aren't using MFA and they're just like a password breach away from getting their uh, dependency pwned, right? So, um, or That's a super, that's a really good idea. Like almost like a badge when you, you go to somebody's profile, you could see if they have 2FA enabled or not. Although then on the flip side of that, you know we're going to get outrage from the security community on like, you know, you know how that's going to go, right? Like, yeah, it's definitely a, people that are going to say, "Yeah, yeah." There's yeah. we're going to get, I, and I guarantee you, we'll get a bounty submission or two or one hundred that are like, you, you can enumerate whether or not people have two FA enabled. So yeah, which is like another problem that I feel like, and 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 while we're on the subject, like, uh, so um, I don't know if we really talk too much to this, but Eric is the, you know, basically managing the AppSec efforts over at segment. And um, one thing that's kind of cool is like that. I really like that you did Eric and my boss, Greg, you two brought our teams together um, to do some like knowledge sharing and some info sharing, which is if you're not doing that um, people listening, you totally should find uh, people that are doing some of the, like they're working in a similar space as you 
and then um, bringing those two groups together to talk about how you're tackling things. Because like in our case, uh, in your case, Eric, we're kind of paving the way on like we've done all these things. Now we're trying to get into territory of like new things. But uh, mm. the reason I kind of went off on that um, tangent there for a second, though, bringing it back was that. Uh, so basically, like, how do I say uh, the best way to phrase this? Like, um, there's this notion of and we talked about it yesterday on our team, security. Industry has said our best practices and everyone is touted and they're in OWASP cheat sheets and stuff like that. But, but at the end of the day, like when you talk to, again, groups such as yourself, that are doing similar things. Like there's a lot of that security theater we start cutting out and there's a lot that we, you know, start trying to remove. Neil was talking about something yesterday um, that he wanted to remove from our app that was felt like it was just for show. And uh, that's kind of that weird thing that we deal with, you know, it's like, well, okay, this is what everybody tells you. And like, when you get a bounty submission and you know, it's not applicable, but it's like, but OWASP says you should be doing this. And it's like, you know, context matters. And then that plays a part, but then also like, again, things, some of these recommendations have just been around for years. So it's, yeah, it's nice to cut out security theater. It's nice to talk to other people doing some of the similar things you are. Agreed. I think one of the things you get from that also is that like every organization is incredibly complex and unique in their own ways. And you're not going to find like a, a cookie cutter solution that is generalized online to, to solve your individual problem that you might be having. And so having these like security date lunches, as we call them, is, is a great way to actually ask for real advice given uh, like the situation that you're dealing with. So I remember we were talking about, for example, some of the complexities around rolling out multi-factor authentication. Um, especially when it comes to providers and, and like reachability countries. Like, I don't know if there's an OWASP, like I know there's probably one around MFA, but do they talk about those complexities? Um, so it's definitely nice to be able to sit there and, and have that casual conversation, explain the situation you're in and, and look for just general advice. Um, so and that's yeah. something I don't know is easily available online or even at the like, conferences because they're all, you know, rightly so trying to be generalized to apply as to as possible so as a consultant you know when we talked about multi-factor authentication it's more like oh you know you should do this you should do that in terms of you know use maybe an app um consider whether you know sms is the best blah 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 but then you get in you get internally and then like kind of what you're saying is you know it's like okay well in these certain countries we actually have deliverability issues or we have uh cultural and socioeconomic uh situations that prevent maybe using um, one over the other, SMS over the app, and may not even be feasible at all. Uh, maybe there's a different way we have to deliver. And, you know, the, the I remember one, uh, somebody joined our team not too long ago and uh, was like, well, you know, wh- how many people are enrolled in, in MFA? And it was like, you know, what, I'm not going to quote the percentage, but um, it, it, it seemed very unimpressive. And then it's like, no, that's actually really good. Like the, even to get, even I'm just throwing out numbers just to say, even if you got 10%, God forbid you got 20%, you're doing amazing. Like 20% of people who actually enable MFA and you wouldn't think that as a security person, you'd be like, uh, if we're not hitting, you know, 90%, that's a failure or something like that. That's just not, it's, it's the inverse of that. It's really weird. Hmm. But you wouldn't know that if you don't talk to other blue teamers, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, having just been at DEF CON, right? Like, I think there's a, there's kind of a, at least at DEF CON, they're trying to create these conferences within the conference where they actually go deeper, right? Um, whether that's like a blue team village, an AppSec village, the other things. But I still feel like exactly what you're saying, Eric, a lot of the, the, the general advice that we give online is definitely focused towards beginners that have never heard about it before. Right. Mm. If we talk about nuances of, you know, SSRF or cross-site scripting, like you lose that audience so quickly because you're almost saying, yeah, that's great, but you didn't quite do it right. And the problem's really hard. So I don't have a single library that I can give you for MFA that'll solve all your problems, which is what they want. Which, right? And rightfully so, you know, they, they want it as easy as possible. They want security as easily as possible, but it's just never, it's never as black and white as that. I, I mean, how do you, how do you feel like we push that discussion forward? It sounds like you guys do security dates with other organizations. You, you know, you build your own security Tinder. Is that what's going on? <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's tough. I don't I don't know if there's a general solution. I think it's kind of nice for us because um, I don't know we seem to have a pretty good set of friends in the in the space. I, I don't know like if there's good advice for people that maybe are are starting a new program and, and maybe are in like a city or an area where there's like not a great like OWASP network. Um, so it's kind of hard to branch out. If there were like some way to to have almost like a security tender where you have like. MNDAs and and that are actually enforceable. Um, that'd be great to have that conversation or, or be able to have a way to have those conversations. I mean, one thing that I do suggest for everyone on my team is is also to like get a wonder if like for those situations where like people are starting new teams in, in those like states or or cities that do not have great networks, maybe CV can find a network or I'm sorry, a, a mentor. Um, that is in the security space, like reach out to somebody on LinkedIn, ask, hey, can, can you mentor me for a few months? And maybe that's the person you can have those tricky conversations with. But yeah, I don't I don't honestly see a general solution out there for people, you know, uh, meeting regularly for for like security dates. It's just it's just something that I, I think you have to go to conferences. You have to meet people. You have to build that network before you can really open that door for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I like. I, I think we've always kind of suffered from that. Like, I, I think about my time way, you know, uh, like my first real security job at the bank, right? And that was always like the stuff that we did at the bank was always like this closely held secret. And we're like, <laughs> as a security person, I'm like, we, we need to talk about this because we don't know if this is the best way to approach this solution, right? Like, right. we're in an industry where every other bank that's you know, that's our size or bigger has a huge security team that's working on a very similar problem. And the fact that the, the, the business people are saying, no, 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 that's our secret sauce. You can't, you can't talk to other people about it. You're like, you're like, you're exposing us to risk or you're exposing other people in the industry to risk just because you're, you're scared about someone stealing something that's really not core to your business. Right. It's, it's more just kind of general practice, but, uh, and I, I mean, I think I, th- I have seen some of, some sort of a change, especially in that industry. There's more, you know, information sharing about what they do as far as security goes. Um, I, I mean, in the AWS side, we see Netflix and others actually pushing that envelope a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's gotten better in the last ten to fifteen years on that on that front. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think getting a mentor or finding somebody to talk to about it is is key as well. I was just going to plug uh, Tanya. Um, 
Jenka, she was, you know, uh, she hacks purple. She always does like a mentoring Monday thing on Twitter. If you're looking for somebody or if you want to be a mentee or a mentor, that's kind of a good place to go to, you know, watch for that tweet stream as it goes through and you may be able to find somebody. Cool. So, uh, you know, now that we've spent half the time talking about all the random things, uh, <laughs> as is Kenny customary, wanna, yeah, as, as is customary, obviously Eric is from segment. Uh, Ken, do you want to do a, a real yeah, introduction well, so, on Eric? So Eric, well, and we, we, you know, I got introduced to Eric through, we did through leaf, um, who was on the show at least once, at, at least, least once. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you don't, and if like I'm trying to, we could probably link later to the, the actual other YouTube video where uh, or uh, podcast episode where we had a uh, Leaf and um, David. David talked about uh, Dan David and and there was also uh, sorry one of his one of the developers on there um, from your team from Segment, which yeah yes yeah. which was. Uh, I'm, the reason I'm struggling, I'm trying to remember the actual like solution, but it was, uh, yeah. I think it was doc, Docker net based networking. I want to say to prevent SSR or DNS rebinding. I think that was the solution we, we were talking. Anyways, it was a great episode, uh, but we got introduced through, um, through leaf and you've, so previously Eric worked at credit karma, karma, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Is it Invincia as a senior yeah. security? Yeah. Yeah. They, um, so they had like a product, like an endpoint protection product, but they also had like a labs portion that worked on kind of, uh, they were contractors for various DARPA projects. So that's like the part I was in um, back in, in my DC days. I also worked at Accenture briefly as an R&D engineer, which is figuring out uh, what was like the next greatest thing two to three years down the road. And just to yeah, give you I an idea of, of how old I am, I guess. this was uh, yeah, you two did three years some R D. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no. There's <laughs> some kind of lag or something. I think my networking sucks again. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go um, on. No big deal. Um, but yeah, so like, just to give you an idea how old I was, uh, like two to three years out was like security analytics. Uh, this wasn't even ML. This was just basic security analytics. Was like the next big. Th- Eric, did we lose Eric? Uh, I think we did. Interesting, because we've talked about security analytics. Oh, I think Eric's back. I could hear you, but uh, I couldn't see you. Uh, I guess you couldn't hear me either, so. No, we couldn't. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I was just saying it was like the days that people were going crazy about big data and Hadoop. Um, and using that for security applications was my Accenture days, but uh, it was cool. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, analytics is huge. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think there are a lot of good applications there that do not require AI or ML, but uh, you know, it's not as sexy, I guess, and it's not going to get you a, a spot on the RSA showroom floor, but it is what it is. Well, you can always uh, just pay for that. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that. Whatever. Cool. Looks like we lost. So, yeah. Uh, no sense still there. No, I, I saw you blink. Uh, You're just very still and zen. I am today. just very still. Sorry. 
<laughs> very good. I just see yeah, a, very a zen. Oh, you don't spinning. see you don't see my screen. Hmm. I don't see you, but that's fine. It's all good. Yeah, so basically we figured we'd take uh we'd ask Eric. We wanted Eric on the show because Eric's got um so we will get into some of the specifics about like the uh, a couple of things, like especially the dashboard. I know we're going to get into, which was really awesome when you explained that whole um, when you explained the concept to our team. Um, but yeah, so we figured we get Eric on because he runs like a what I would call bleeding edge kind of shop, and you know that's again paving the way for for folks in my opinion. And uh, so we can there's definitely a lot to draw on there um, from your experience. Uh, but before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about your origin story, your journey into security, how you got here? You know, where did it start for you? You can go back as far as you want. We always ask people, you know, how did you get into this field? Yeah, I mean, so I originally went to school for computer engineering and I had an internship with Accenture. Uh, they reached out and they, I was in Indiana, I've never been to DC. They're like, hey, do you want to do, come to DC and do security R&D? And I'm like... Is that like the matrix or where I'm going to have in map on my terminal and, and maybe like hack into these complex systems and, and uh, look really cool and wear trench coat with like uh, sunglasses. But then I, I went out to DC and uh, it's actually a, it's a different problem space and I, I fell in love with it. it um, the things I really liked about it was there seemed to be a lot of low hanging fruit um, in terms of things that could be uh, innovated Um and so I, with the, the concept of, of trying to create almost like a, sort of a maze with traps and like labyrinths to prevent people from like really breaking in and, and kind of, you know, stealing the crown jewels. So I, I actually just, if you entranced me and, and, and brought me in uh, full time, then, as I mentioned, I, I went to Invincia where I was doing some pretty... Uh, interesting work with DARPA, like the the problems there were really cool. And I don't know if you're familiar with like kind of what their, I think their failure rate is like 70% project failure rate is expected. And that's just because they want the projects to be incredibly innovative. Um, and if like, if it's too high of a success rate, then you're not being innovative enough. And so the problems there, like I was working on this tool called Plan X, which is really interesting, but it was uh, pretty far out with regards to like um, commercial applicability. So I, I wanted to get some experience in the commercial space. And so I, I came over to uh, San Francisco originally to start uh, a startup in software-defined networking security, which I thought was going to be the next big thing. And, and Gartner told me it was going to be the next big thing. But uh, this was 2014, 2015, and that obviously fizzled out. I mean, I think it's actually starting to become a thing now. But um, back then, uh, it was really hard sell to tell people to purchase new networking equipment uh, that allowed you to uh, listen or use open flow controllers. So uh, I went to Credit Karma to um, do AppSec and, and uh, that was like my first commercial experience with security and it was pretty exciting. And then I actually tried to hire Leaf um, and he said no. And he's like, why don't you come over to Segment instead and be my manager? So I, uh, I came over here and, and met Colleen who is amazing if you want to look at videos of, of her like she has such such a great mindset around security and, and how security should be done and i think she's definitely the reason why if you would say we're on the bleeding edge and paving the path uh, her 
thoughts on security are, are the reasons why uh, we are. So uh, I've been here for about a year and a half and it, it's been fantastic. So, Can you send me, is Colleen on Twitter? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to find her Twitter handle. I, I think Sweet. it might be Elizabeth Coolidge, but I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head. Sweet. Awesome. Well, we'll get it and paste it when we get it. Uh, so yeah. that kind of, at what point did you decide though that you're like, I, I think, cause I mean, you know, what, at what point did you decide? Like, I think security is my thing. Like, I think this is going to be what I do or was there any inkling when you were younger? Uh, there wasn't anything, part- I mean, I loved computers when I was younger. I loved breaking computers, playing around with them, taking them apart, putting them back together. Um, there wasn't anything like my first exposure was my internship to security. It was, it was just like when they reached out that like, I thought security was just like this inaccessible domain that it was uh, not, uh, that it wasn't something that you get into unless like the government showed up on your door and were like, you need to come with us. So then now you work at the, the NSA, like just that kind of shows you how far disconnected I was originally to the, the industry at first. Um, but when I, when I got the, uh, the invite to do the internship and then I got to see what it really was. And then kind of like, again, the gaming nature of it, um, almost like the, um, capture the flag nature of it. I just fell in love. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't hacking, uh, as a kid or doing anything crazy like that. Uh, as cool as that sounds, it's just not my history. Oh no, no, yeah, no. That's the thing is we, we like, there is no right history. There's only each individual's history. So that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of is, you know, for some people it was young, except for some folks, they like yourself went into that role and was, and were like, yeah, I really love this. Or we're developing for a company that did security and then became sort of like, I'd rather, I'm not like writing codes fun, but I really like breaking this stuff and finding vulnerabilities and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's different for yeah. everybody. And that's the, kind of the point of why we ask the origin story. So people yeah. can see. Um, um, yeah. And I'm sorry, think- I'm, I got distracted by leaf. No, no, no. He was, he was saying is there's a recent talk by Colleen at SF OWASP meetup. So I can yeah. find that. Yeah. And I heard uh, Twitter is Colleen Coolidge. So uh yeah, I just put it in the private chat. I don't know if you want to relay that over if Leaf hasn't. All right, post that in a sec. So while we're doing that, um, so getting into it, um, can you tell us a little bit about the problem, pro- eh, the problem space or the challenges you face, uh, your team faces at um, Segment? You know, what are the things that are maybe sort of unique to segment? I mean, I know, you, you know, obviously we all face the, the, some of the same base level of problems, but some of the uh, challenges are a bit more unique, uh, especially given that, you know, segment sort of the analytics that segment handles and all the data flowing in and out and all the different um, third parties that you all work with. And if you don't know a lot about segment, that's I'm going to do my. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to try and summarize. Can you tell people what Segment does and then why your problem space might be a little bit different? Yeah. So what Segment does is um, provides customer data uh, infrastructure for companies. So actually at my previous job, we had the same problem that we were trying to solve, which is um, knowing when people... uh, 
visit like Credit Karma, for example, um, you want to know what they're doing on your site, like what if they look at an offer, if they when they sign in, um, or if they um, go and and uh, have issues with like changing their password or have issues with using parts of their site. Like that data is is useful for the customer, uh, or I'm sorry, for the for the actual company at hand. And collecting that data is, is very difficult. Um, my previous job, you had to um, effectively, we had like a full data engineering team. We had uh, very expensive infrastructure that, that would receive these events and pipe them into our data warehouse. Um, end to end, it was like, again, a very expensive problem to solve. And so what Segment does is it provides that as a service for companies so that um, even smaller startups can get that insights on what's happening on their on their web page, um, when, what are their users doing on their site, um, and uh, without having to spend a lot of money. It really enables them to, to really optimize their product uh, offering. So that's kind of what Segment does at a high level. Um, another way of saying it is like we're just a, a series of pipes. Um, you send us a bunch of events and you tell us where it goes, and we will you know, shoot those out our back end to wherever you told us to, to send them. So... Um, but yeah, it's effectively a distributed data problem with a lot of volume <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, but in terms of the problems that we're facing, I, I think that what, I, I don't think we're unique in this case, but like one of the, I, I would argue a common failure mode in a lot of organizations is security and, and engineering almost develop like an adversarial like relationship. So, um, we're trying our best to avoid that at all costs. Um, and we do that through various means. Like we have like principles that we live by. One is, and I think this is uh, pretty obvious with Leaf and David's talk, um, previous podcast, but developer empathy is huge for us. We treat our developers as customers. So anytime we roll out of control, we try to figure out from the other side, how is that control? Uh, is, is How does that control, uh, what does that look like from the other side of the fence? Is it... Uh, pragmatic? Is it realistic? Is it um, actually solving the problem? Or are you actually moving the security needle um, in the opposite direction because you are building an adversarial relationship with uh, with your engineer? So we've been working hard to try to solve that. Um, and then like another thing that we do is, is tooling and, and try to build a lot of tooling where possible because we look at like humans in the loop. Uh, if we roll out a process and there's like a human in the loop, we treat that as like a code smell. And we see if there's like a way to, to build some tooling there. Um, but yeah, so probably the biggest challenge we're facing right now is just ownership in general. So um, a lot of the information that we're getting from SNCC, from uh, other tools are telling us like, hey, um, you know, you have these vulnerabilities with these repos, you have these vulnerabilities with these Docker containers. Um, the problem is how do you route that to the correct team? Um, and uh, figuring out who owns what repo is something that Leaf's currently working on, but we're building some tooling inside to, to figure out, okay, um, for these, we actually have 1,800 repos for each one of these, who's the owner? Because what we're trying to do now is, is develop a, a grade for each team. So um, I think every team, engineering team, wants to do well from a security perspective in most cases. Uh, they might not just know how they're doing so we're using this ownership tool and the fact that we can like tie dependency management and Docker container vulnerability management uh, into uh, at the team level, we can start assigning them grades. And so a given team can say, hey, I, you know, I thought I was doing well from a security perspective, but I actually have a D and then uh, I'm not exactly sure why. So they can click that and see, oh, I have 15 depend, depend about uh, uh, PRs open. I have 
two Docker containers that are that are vulnerable. And, and here are directions for me to get uh, an A, so I'll just follow those. So that's one of the things that we're trying to do. And then I think another thing that we're trying to solve right now is is just generally how do we make access a little bit more form fitting to like the access needs within the organization. So I think uh, I would argue there are many ways to solve access. One is to have it go through one central authority. And uh, I feel like going that route is not always the best because if you ask or have a centralized person dealing with access across the board, they might not have the context for why that access is needed. And, um, so we're trying to move to maybe a peer-based system for some applications within segments. So if you need access to a given app, like in Okta, you can request that and that will go and, and ping somebody that is a peer um, that can review that access, ideally their boss automatically on Slack, um, and then they can approve or deny. But they also specify how long they need it. Um, and we never give long-lived access anymore. So we can say that um, at worst case, you will have it for uh, three months uh, and then you'll have to ask for it again because then um, if people do ask for access and, and they only use it for two months and it goes away after three months, we don't have that long-lived access sitting around anymore. So that's another thing we're trying to figure out that, uh, that David's actually working on right now, which is how do we make access a little bit more form-fitting by decentralizing it where it makes sense. Not everything is decentralized. Um, and then also making it by default uh, a time based so that when that access is no longer needed, it automatically just rolls back. Um, so that's that's another thing that we're looking at here. Um, that's a, that, yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting balance that you're talking about there between the you know, hey, we don't want to make security so in your face that it becomes a detriment. Mm -hmm. right? And but then at the same time, when you start talking about hey, there's this limited access time for specific resources, it's almost like security becomes more of a, hey, on a daily basis, I, I am going to have to check my access levels or I'm going to be granting access to somebody else. Like you're almost distributing security to other parts of the organization rather than just the security team, right? Yeah. I mean, at least that's what it feels like from what you're saying. Yeah. And I mean, the access will like kind of back off. Like if you're asking for it every day, you're not asking for it correctly. You can specify how long you need it for. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we definitely, I mean, we're trying to live as much as possible that that security is everyone's problem. And so we're decentralizing a lot of security where it makes sense um, so that it does become everyone's problem. We have tools that help them uh, solve that problem for themselves. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, and I know when we had Leaf on that we talked a little bit about like the security developer relationship. Um, mm -hmm. Can you speak to that as well, though, as far as what you've seen work in getting developers involved in security or actually like doing away with that antagonistic relationship or eliminating it? Yeah, I mean, I think Leaf hit the nail on the head when he was speaking about it, which is just got to be friendly and, and try to your best to not assume uh, that developers, whenever they maybe make a mistake from a security perspective, that they meant to do it or they're just being lazy, um, but actually trying to understand understand the root cause of why that mistake was made. And, and maybe it sometimes points back to you or your process as being like unrealistic and, and taking that feedback in and, and incorporating it in like your processes, which I mean, is why we're doing the things that we're doing um, around dependency management with the ownership project and then access. Um, I think another thing that we've been doing a lot as 
like we've been trying to instill security culture across the board um, and, and making sure that people uh, understand that, that security is everyone's problem. So we uh, focus, invest heavily in, in um, for example, our security training. I think we've mentioned this, but um, we invest like two and a half hours into it. Like when people come in, like they could do two and a half hours of training and first hour and a half is called thinking like an attacker. And the idea behind it is um, segment has a, a, we use a taxonomy to rate every vulnerability that comes through our front door and effectively have our own OWASP top 10. Uh, in that class, we talk about our top five. And so we're not like wasting the engineer's time by going over like enumerating the top 10 just because uh, that's what we're told to do. But we actually go over the vulnerabilities that affect segment uh, in that class. And we actually um, in that class, we talk about the theory and then we showcase real examples of how that vulnerability has manifested itself in our code bases because it's in our top five for a reason. And that co helps concretize a couple of things. One is this vulnerability uh, actually affects segment. It uh, doesn't affect Acme Bank or some fictitious bank that you'd use for a C-Surf example. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, this is what it looks like in my code base. So it helps them understand that, oh, that function that I might have seen before once had an SSRF vulnerability. Now I know what that looks like. I'll keep my eye open for it. Um, but then we take it one step further. And I think this is how we help build those relationships because we try to make security fun. But uh, we actually have everyone install Burp Suite uh, community edition or, or zap not to get David too angry, but, um, <laughs> and effectively what they do is they actually, uh, they see these vulnerabilities, they hear about the theory, they see examples, and then they exploit those same vulnerabilities and we make it a CTF. So we use the OWASP juice shop, um, uh, tool, uh, which is super awesome and pretty close to our stack. But we, um, when people are hitting or getting those, those flags, they yell out their name, we write it on the board and then, we actually added to our leaderboard, which I'm happy to jump into in a little bit. But um, so people really just get uh, into security, if you will. Like they just find it fun, and, and ideally, where we can make it fun, we we try to make it fun. But um, but yeah, hopefully that kind of answers your question. We just really we try to be pragmatic. We try to build that relationship early, and then um, and where we can, we we make security fun um, is really what we what we try to do. Yeah, and, and I mean, and that that was the exactly the feedback that I was looking for. The answer that I was looking for is, you know, kind of what you're seeing that's a little different than you know other people and how you've approached the problem. Because we do, I, I mean, as a consultant, I do that. I see that often, right? That that split between security and development, and you know, never shall the two discuss anything without being, you know, antagonistic about it. Um, even though they're both business drivers, right? It's both, mm. hey, neither of those organizations would have jobs if the business didn't exist and they're just trying to solve business problems. It just goes about, go about it a different way. Yep. Um, and, you know, definitely the teams that seem to be, that seem to do well uh, from a, both from a security and a development perspective are taking the other team's perspective into account. Um, so yeah. however you can make that happen as far as like, you know, I mean, heck, even just doing happy hour with the developers or whatever else, right? Like you build a personal relationship. It's a lot easier to have those discussions. It's mm -hmm. when it's, Hey, we're security's over here and they never talk to us unless there's a problem. Guess yeah. what? Every time you see security, you think, Oh crap, here we go. I just, I have another month's worth of work being thrown on my plate and I have no time. <laughs> for it, so. Yeah, and I, I think another reason why maybe these adversarial relationships arise is maybe we're just bad at communicating, right? Uh, you mentioned 
seeing uh, making security a business driver, how often have we made it clear like what the business impact is from uh, like a business, or I'm sorry, what the business impact is for a given vulnerability when we throw it over yeah. the wall. I mean, that's one of the required fields in my uh, vulnerability management, like where we have like security triage is like the first step. And our job is to explain why this is a business issue in, in terms that the, the PM and the engineering manager can, can understand by saying, hey, this is a P1 because I say it is, is not going to really uh, convince that other party that what you're doing is worthwhile. So we definitely try to make like uh, sure that everything, anytime that we impose work on another team, we can explain it in a way that um, uh, that the audience understands why we're doing this. We're not just saying, hey, SSRF is bad because um, it's it's one of the you know one of the known like big vulnerabilities and and we don't want to get hacked so flip, fix it like we sit there and we try to explain that you know this is something that is a big deal in, in cloud security environments because it could lead to you know a full compromise of a given role associated with an instance in, in the cloud and um, and in this case for this particular service if this was owned given the permissions that it has it could lead to this type of data being leaked uh, and. That's why this is a bigger deal. So uh, that's that's really what we try to do is we really try to do our best to explain the vulnerability. And if we can't, we then ask ourselves, is this vulnerability actually a, a vulnerability? If we can't explain the business impact and we can't explain why it's a problem, then maybe it's not as big of a deal as we think it is. So, yeah. I, that, that, that's always one of the things that you know I struggle with as, as being a consultant, like flipping from project to project is... Like I do a lot better when we have a partner like you know like you Eric or somebody like that on the inside that can get, that can put some context around the things that we find because mm-hmm. uh, there I mean there's times that yeah I can find you know I'll find SQL injection or something in an application and I can dump out everybody's password hash you're like yes this is obviously an issue everyone's seen password dumps <laughs> right and that sort of thing but on, on you know at other times when you're talking business logic flaws I'm like hey you know this it looks like it's something interesting and uh, you know, depending on the organization that may be anywhere from a P2 to a P5. Right. And it just, mm-hmm. it, it's so contextual for the organization that it's really hard as a consultant to say, Hey, I'm going to give that a low rating when I could do something that was unintended. And so by default, I'm going to throw that in as like a medium or like a P2, P3, uh, just because I don't have all that context around it. So it takes some sort of thought or at least some sort of discussion to actually classify that properly for the organization. So, yeah. For sure. And I mean, we use the the VRT from BugCrowd. Oh, like yeah. That's always our starting point. So we can try to be consistent with our ratings. Co- but you know. Cookie flags. <laughs> P1. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Username enumeration, P1. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's, that's another thing, I guess, sorry, I'm, I'm starting to get these answers as, as you, uh, as I think about it more, but another thing that we do to maintain our relationship is we do an embed program where, um, I ship somebody from my team off to an engineering team for, for a quarter. I don't, I want them to sit with them. I want them to work on those engineering problems that they have because they can, uh, a, they can build that amazing relationship with that team and, and B, uh, they can also really see what our controls look like from the other side. Are, are they realistic? Are they pragmatic? Are they just a pain? Um, and if they are a pain, like hopefully they can come back and we can 
discuss it and figure out how do we make it a little bit more streamlined. So that's another thing that we do as well. That's yeah. And that, that seems extremely effective. I know we had, you know, Abdullah Munawar on the podcast recently as well. And he was talking about starting a new job and it's an engineering heavy you know, organization. He's running the application security program, but for the first, you know, two or three weeks, I think it was, Ken, if you remember, he actually was embedded on a engineering team. So he could number one, learn the code base, Number two, learn what the controls are. And he had to actually like put in a patch for the production code base before he was allowed to actually go and do his regular job, right? And it was all, hey, we're an engineering team. Everybody needs to know what the code base is. But I'm like, dang, from a security perspective, an application security perspective, especially having that experience is invaluable moving forward because you actually know what you're talking about when you're like, hey, this process is screwed up or this is where I'm see the, seeing the developers make these problems, you know, or have these problems and that sort of thing. So it's yeah. interesting. So how often do you, does your team do that? Like, I mean, well, number one, like how big is your team? Obviously we've been talking about Leaf and Dave, and, but Ashil isn't on your team. So who, how big is your team there at Segment? Uh, well, we were four now, five as of yesterday. Um, and we're, we're hoping to grow by a few more um, in, by the end of the year. But yeah, so the team's, Decent sized, um, especially relative to our engineering size. Like we have an amazing ratio, and I'm very fortunate that uh, Segment takes security so seriously to, to invest in our our org. But um, with regards to how often we do it, we actually have only done it once per person. So, okay. and we're actually trying to figure out the timing on it. So we have been experimenting uh, for one person, Matt. Um, I actually made him go directly into an embed, uh, and we actually. I do like the three weeks, maybe doing that for three weeks. I think that makes sense. But since we're doing it for a quarter, I, I wouldn't recommend doing it right out the gate just because when you're starting, you're trying to meet your team, work with your team and, and kind of having to sit uh, with another team within the first three months uh, is not. There, there's some feedback that we took back and, and made sure that we incorporated it. But I, I think actually the sweet spot for us is about six months after joining. Um, we'll send you uh, a way to, to uh, do an embed for, for the three months. Um, but yeah, so it's been once per person. We might look at revisiting it um, just so that uh, you can get experience with, with more teams and more um, uh, situations and features because not every team works on the same part of the product or uh, same part of the stack. So um, being able to get good coverage there uh, with the same person could be ideal as well. But we haven't visited that yet. Okay. No, that, yeah, that seems, I, I mean, that honestly, you know, being able to take one of your AppSec engineers and put them on a team or embed them in a team for three months, uh, you know, that shows the level of uh, dedication that Segment has to security, right? Because like at that point, they may still be doing some security tasks, but I'm sure it's mostly they're embedded on that team. Is that, or am I reading that wrong? Yeah, actually, I, I really, I mean, it's great if they want to do like reviews for like their features. Um, but I, I really want them to not actually work on security, uh, like KTLO or any other projects and KTLO is like keeping the lights on, which is what we call operational work here. But I want them to really actually focus working on engineering problems that that team is having and, and just really trying to get fully embedded and, and experience the life of an engineer for that team. So I, I try to restrict them from working on security related features. And I mean, obviously we, we do planning and ensure that we, we have the capacity for it. Um, 
but it's it's worked out pretty much uh, every time so far. So yeah, I I don't really want them to work on security when we're there. Cool. No, that, yeah, that seems like an invaluable lesson, right? I, you know, I, I wish I had that time with most of the projects that I work on, right? You know, mm-hmm. obviously, like my my scope is somewhat different. And Ken, do you guys at GitHub do anything like that? I mean, I know you're dealing with a whole bunch of different teams, but have you, like, do you guys embed at all like that, or is it a different relationship? No, I wouldn't say we. Um, uh, I wouldn't say we embed directly, but there's a lot of, uh, I would say, our, I mean, we, we're pretty tight with developers, but the way that that works is like, if you have a, for instance, yesterday, and actually today too, after this podcast, I have a developer who's asking about um, something that's node related and templating and basically like how we can do something secure from the get go. And um, so basically working alongside with a developer to come up with solutions um, I feel like basically it's a bit of engineering, right? It's a bit of engineering on my end to find something that's going to work for like what they want, which is, okay, we're going to use these schemas as input validation and we're going to do contextually some output encoding and we have, but we're doing some raw, you know, JavaScript slash DOM manipulation and it's always dicey. So how can we do that more securely? And so for my, my position, I'm, I'm sitting there, not physically, but, you know, virtually sitting there with the developer, giving them, uh, doing the research and figuring out what's going to work and playing around with it and doing some security engineering. So it's not embedded in the sense that like I or they sit with the team all the time. It's more like it, when there's a problem to be solved, we'll do that. And that's, I think that that's the, that's like the progression. You know, okay, I'm hacking on this web app and I'm finding issues either in source code or using like, zap or burp i don't want to like you know choose one or the other uh, and then after a while you know you get you you've done you've done this for so long that eventually like you're able to just i wouldn't say you're it doesn't make you like the best person to optimize code but it does make you the most knowledgeable person on what technology to use and how to use it you know when it comes mm-hmm. to security. yeah for sure but that's cool. just an evolution thing yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't answer the question at all, but yeah. Whatever. <laughs> no, I know. I just wondered if you'd embedded before like that. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, m- most of my experience being embedded has been more as, you know, Hey, I was an actual developer right before, or, you know, as the security advisor to a team. Um, but, but that is a little bit of a different uh, take on it. Right. Because yeah. you, you don't necessarily get down in the weeds. I mean, you're not implementing, you know, core level functionality or anything like that. Nope. I can, I, I can see the use in both, right? And if the organization has the time for, you know, to give their engineers, their security people that sort of experience, I think it could pay off, or I'm sure it will pay off in the long run. I'm sure you've seen dividends from that, Eric. Yeah, I mean, the the context that you get whenever you see like a vulnerability or you have an issue with a given part of the product, if we've had someone embed there, it's it just makes it so much easier for us to understand like the situation, the problem, um, figure out like what the, the real solution might be. It definitely com- cuts down on like the time to fix for a lot of those. Um, but really like the payback is is now that we have like a, a good connection with that team moving forward and um, they, they know who to go to if they have an issue um, because I worked with them for a quarter. Um, 
but yeah, it, it seems to have paid off for us. Um, I, yeah, I haven't seen any like negative effects. I mean, we just have to make sure that we incorporate it in our planning. Um, and that seems to, to work out pretty well overall. But. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we've been going for almost an hour. I know there was a couple other items that you wanted to touch on though, Eric, before we wrap this up. So what was it that you were bringing up? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was the leaderboard. That's something I, it's been a project of mine for a little while. Um, actually just gave a, a talk at, I think it was Uber for OWASP uh, meetup in the Bay Area on it. But the idea is we actually depend on security culture more than we think because um, there are like times when you're, your controls aren't comprehensive and um, when your processes aren't comprehensive and you actually rely on that uh, engineer to, to make the right decision. Um, and so like we've been gamifying security culture here at Segment with this thing called the leaderboard, which uh, I, I built during the hack week, uh, which is this time, like we give, we're given a week, a year at Segment where we just work on whatever we want. Um, and so I something I've been thinking about for a while. Uh, but it's based off of like the Halo 2 matchmaking ladder. I just remember this hack or hack week ago. Uh, I was trying to figure out. I love the the notion of having like levels associated with um, like how I performed from uh, from a Halo 2 perspective. And I was like, can I apply that to like security culture in that segment? And uh, the only time I could really work on something that crazy was hack week. So I put together this website and effectively it's, it's a, it has a Slack integration, but anytime someone does amazing security work, um, you just do slash leaderboard and you can recognize somebody for, for doing great work and uh, it updates their, their profile on the leaderboard and they have levels and they get like a certain percentage of progress to the next level. And every five levels, they get like a physical badge um, that they can put on their laptop so they can show, Hey, I'm a level 10 or I'm a level 15. Um, I shamelessly stole the badge icons from Halo 2, so hopefully Bungie doesn't come after me. But uh, it's been it's been great. Uh, it's been something that um, has really helped us keep that drum beat uh, with regards to security culture because it it posts in our security channel every Friday, like who are the biggest movers from security. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, looks like I'm about to get kicked out of this room, so I'm probably gonna have to take off. But uh, yeah, that's, okay. that's my spiel. If you're more interested in that, that's uh, online on YouTube. If you search for uh, OWASP Bay Area Meetup, um, July. yeah, we'll find that. Yeah, we'll find we'll find the link and post it. Yeah, Eric, if you're getting kicked out, hey, we we seriously appreciate you taking the time. You know, we know oh. that you're busy, and you know, but it's been awesome talking to you about all the things, right? You know, yes. Yeah. Obviously, it always goes by super quickly. So, but we appreciate it. Uh, take care. And Thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, appreciate your time. Yeah, we'll catch you Thanks online. So Thanks, Eric. All right, see ya. And, bef and before, not you, Eric, but before okay. everybody else sure, watching thanks. jumps off, um, there were two things we neglected to mention tonight. I, I don't know how this works. So we're going to be on the Purple Squad Sec podcast tonight. Here's the link. I don't know if that's live though, or if that's recorded and then edited, so we sound less stupid, uh, which is probably a really good idea. <laughs> but the Super other so that's tonight. So that, exactly. So that episode will be coming out though if it doesn't if it's not live. Um, and then there's another one we're doing on Thursday. I think it's Thursday, which is I just had the link. Where the secure developer? The secure developer is the name of the podcast. Yeah. 
and I just had it up, and I don't know why I've lost it. Probably because I'm going senile. I had it here a second ago. Well, um, oh yeah, I found it. Cool. Yeah. So this is uh, this is correct me if I'm wrong, Seth. Going to be us giving like our version of our course. Is that what that is? I I think so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. We have to find out. <laughs> Which we we've wanna, done before. We may want to or... clarify that. But yeah, I, I, I think it is. I think they just want to talk. They want us to do a, a short introduction into our code review framework and how we you know, how we go about doing that. Obviously, the course is a lot more in depth. Um, an hour isn't enough. I think you know that was it. Like when I went to OWASP Phoenix and wanted to try and summarize in an hour and I think I, I was pushing two plus hours before I finally cut it because I was trying to get through everything. So it, uh, we'll, we'll see how we do. We keep slimming yeah. that down to see if we can get it into an hour talk, but it doesn't do that well. Um, That's why I'm excited that, because we normally do two, two day courses. I'm excited that we're doing a three day course in Amsterdam. I feel like we'll be able to cover so much. Um, yeah. but it does take like a minimum, minimum of two days to get through just the, you know, Here's the, the process and everything like that. So, but the other cool thing about this Purple Squad podcast is that it's going to be like a Dungeons and Dragons, which I've never played. Sorry. Uh, so I have like this uh, purple die. There's some. There's this dice that I guess we're going to roll tonight. So uh, kind of Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Again, I'm sorry. That's not. I've never gotten to that level of nerdy, so I don't know a whole lot about it. So it should be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it should be exciting. We'll we'll see how it goes tonight. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, though, thanks to Eric for joining us. Um, you know, we've got yeah. Come find us online. Come join the Slack channel, or you know, hit us up on Twitter. Whatever. Um, we're always available. I'm trying to think if there's anything else outside of that. Um, I mean, there's AppSec Day in Black Melbourne. Hat London. Black Hat London. Yeah. Both of those are open. Um, so go ahead and register for either of those, depending on where you're going to be. We're going to be all over the the globe, apparently, over the next couple of months. Um, I can't yeah. stop flying. <laughs> I'm definitely going to hit 1K this year. That's, that's I'm already at platinum. It's 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 a lot of miles traveled this year, but it's it's worth it. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. Cool. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that's everything I've got. Um, who's on next week? Ken, do you have that up? Yeah, so it's going to be uh, Andrew Wilson from Bishop Fox, and Andrew is now a manager. He's been a partner for a, for a, I think maybe a year or two at Bishop Fox. Um, so he used to run their consulting practice. This is one I really wanted because um, we've gotten a lot of blue teamers on. What we haven't gotten a lot of is high level management at consultancies, um, and that's really and Bishop Fox is a like you know they're legitimately upsized and note where the um, consulting firm. So it's, it's, you know, we're talking about at scale running teams that do consulting and I'm really excited to, to just pick one in uh, Phoenix and uh, super nice guy. I've known him for years. Definitely tune in next week. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. It'll be fun to talk to him. Um, I, yeah, I see him every year at Cactus Con. He's a good guy. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Well, good deal.
uh, I'll get this, yeah, I'll get the episode up on, you know, Apple Podcasts and Google Play here later today. But uh, appreciate the time, Ken, and we'll we'll catch you online. So thanks everybody thanks for listening. For <laughs> yeah, watching, listening. Thank you. Whatever. Deuces or peace later. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs> <laughs> uh.